Welcome to Lunch with Tech Leaders, where we have engaging conversations about software development and cloud engineering with industry leaders and subject matter experts. These episodes are created by the Great Lakes Tech Leaders, an online community of technology practitioners. Please come join the conversation by visiting gltl.rbn.ai. Again, that's gltl.rbn.ai. Now strap in, because we're deploying to production in three, two, one. Yeah, today we're here to talk about CICD. Uh, this is our first Great Lakes tech leader uh, podcast um, meeting thing. So um, yeah, thanks for joining. Um, Hannah kind of got us set up with a, a topic here. We're going to talk about CICD um, or, or CI systems in general. Um, I was wondering if they, uh, they ordered us uh, Chipotle because the the burritos go through a build pipeline. But, uh... <laughs> so, yeah, um, you know, CI in general, you know, pull repos, um, do tests, do builds, produce artifacts, run deployments, run more tests, stuff like that. So, um, I don't know, what do we got to talk about here? There's a there's a litany of different um, CI systems out there. I think that's probably a good spot to start. Is you know, who's 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 got what favorite, and why is Jenkins going away? <laughs> well, you know how to set me up anyway. I uh, you know I haven't worked with all of them. I worked with Jenkins way more than I I care to remember or admit, but. Uh, GitHub Actions, I was working with that before I left Barracuda just a little while ago. That was really nice. Um, I've been working with GitLab CICD lately at my newest employer, and that's really nice as well, although I haven't found like a nice little helper tool to let you run uh, your pipelines just, you know, for testing locally, like uh, there's one for GitHub, or, uh, yeah, GitHub Actions. So um, other than that, it's pretty neat, but yeah, I, I hate Jenkins. Don't like it. <laughs> I guess I, I haven't like worked only, with Jenkins enough because I don't have an opinion yet. <laughs> I feel like Jenkins is great. If you want to have like two or three people on your team dedicated to just doing nothing but that, but you need basically a specialist for it. You do. Because it requires constant maintenance, uh, plugins, or there's no standardization. They're always... Uh, like they're always getting updated. They're always breaking things. They're always out of sync. Um, theoretically, people could say it's the most powerful, but uh, I think if you need that level of control, it's probably because you're doing something wrong if you need to uh, have something that customized. Mm. That powerful, but at what cost? Yeah, the the overhead. The overhead for maintenance and yeah, ops on Jenkins is no small thing, especially when it gets really big scale too. Yeah, the um, <clears throat> the I don't know what do they call them workers, Jenkins workers. Those things have always been a pain to like get to auto scale and and kind of get right. I've had a really hard time getting uh, scaling Jenkins. Yeah, well, yeah. Not only that, plus then you have to worry. Well, I mean, your 
there's there's lots to complain about. I mean, the the groovy interpolation just makes me want to like hurt, you know, and break things. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, build agents, build agents definitely are another giant pain. I mean, I've done it with AWS Cold Build. I mean, there's like eight, there's tons of plugins for different ways to launch those. But you're right. I mean, they've been a pain, and although they can be very extensible, they definitely can have done some crazy things with Jenkins agents and Packer and things like that. But uh, just it's just too much when you add it all in together for me. Yeah, you know that you you kind of pointed at a, a really interesting thing, or not really interesting, but kind of a, a point that I've heard Kevin make before. It's like, you know, the Jenkins is a platform that people kind of just build uh, plugins for, but because that's how it is, there's a plugin for everything, and all of those plugins are sparsely maintained. Um, yeah, and it, you know. There's a fee, there's a plugin for it, but is it up to date or is it maintained? Is it secure? Those are all, uh, you know. Yeah. And, and how does it integrate with all the other plugins? If you're using a system like GitLab where the whole suite is like part of the same ecosystem. Yeah. You know that various things will be able to talk to each other and they'll work with each other. With Jenkins, it's just pretty much the wild west. It is. And I mean, and due to that, you know, lately people have been, were recommending you know, best practices and not using any plugins. And like, that's, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> I don't want to be sarcastic and like silly about it, but I mean, that's, that is one way to do it, but my God, that's also increasing the operational of it like by a great deal. If you just do everything like you would in a shell to not use pipelines or, or Docker. I mean, I, I'll take shell over using uh, Groovy. Oh, no, I, I'm with you, but everything's still always interpreted through Groovy anyways, right? So <laughs> at least in pipelines, but oh, I don't want to talk. Yeah, Jenkins. Jenkins, I feel is like great if, God, like you, if you just really need something free, I guess, and and you don't know any better about the other options out there. I don't know. That's as best as I can say about it. Well, Jenkins is is like, I feel, Atlassian in that it's what people use because it's what a a bunch of suits here that everyone uses and they want to be, they want to say that their company is, you know, doing it right. And so they just do it, even though they're not the ones who actually have to use it, and they know nothing about it. Yeah, I don't know. Every single place oh. I've been at, at Jenkins, it was already there. Thankfully, I've never seen anybody choose Jenkins out of the box. That's the, yeah. yeah. I have, but again, it's always, it's not the devs who are choosing it, unless it's like, oh, it's what I know, and I don't want to learn anything new. Yeah. Um, it, it's always, oh, you it was made by a manager or something like that. So I wanted to bring up a subject and, and get like some input. Uh, I've been kind of, I've always been kind of the belt and suspenders type developer where it's like I do when I do my check-in, I make sure like for Elixir, which I work on, I make sure the code's formatted and all the you know warnings are dealt with and everything. And then the CI also does that. What do you guys think? Is that is that one of them cases of like, I'm doing too much engineering or am I doing the right amount of engineering or what do you think? I mean, you just need, lately I've think, been thinking, I started at a new place and the previous place I worked at used a lot of pre-commit hooks, which are like great, but I like to have like, uh, you know, absolute passes on certain tests, you know, in CICD. So you end up do duplicating things and, or, you know, effort in that kind of scenario. So if you are, Doing that kind of thing, I've been leaning towards doing it all in the CI/CD. Even though, I mean, that could be 
it's a churn in, in that way too. It's, it's, it's churn either way. I'm not sure entirely, you know, on that one. Could you repeat the first part of that question? Sorry, I'm dealing with an issue with food here. So oh, got to be no corrected. Um, like I say, I, I do it in both. I, yeah, I, like um, Joe was saying, I GitHub or Git hooks, I'm sorry, pre-commit hooks and stuff like that for running the, the format, you know, to make sure it's formatted the way that the code should be formatted and then uh, running my test and all that to make sure that all that's there before it goes into Git. And then our CI also does that. It also runs the format. It also runs the test and everything. And it strikes me sometimes that it's kind of like a bit of overkill, but on the other hand, not everybody has the same pre-commit hooks I do. So, you know, to me, it's, it, it's belt and suspenders type thing where it's like, I'd rather be safe, but um, it does seem like it might be a little bit of overkill. Uh, I am actually with you on that. I feel like you kind of need to have it on the CI system because like you said, not everyone has the same hooks. And even if they do, uh, you can always just throw a dash dash no verify on there um, to get around it. So you, I feel like if you want to have like good enforcement, you need to have it on the CI system. Yeah. But at the same time, as a developer, having to wait for the CI system to do everything, oh, it provisioned a worker, pulled in your repo and stuff like that, you're probably going to take twice as long making CI run it. So it's good to know locally that you're good. Then you just push it off to CI and you can kind of like forget about it and let CI do its thing. Um, assuming you have, you know, everything you need to test locally and you yourself can be confident that your code works. Yeah, I mean, you can, I, yeah, I, I still, I took away pre-commit hooks, but I want to do them again because it's just, you know, it, it goes and happens now. I have to launch all these dumb commands, but um, I mean, at the very least, you know, the, the least expensive check you, know, can, you could have with these formatting things like that would be, just on a PR request, you know, for, for merging to pass and, you know, not every little commit, like some pipeline, I mean, you know, out of the box, all the pipelines, you know, you can trigger on like 50 different things, but you would just have it locked down to just merge commits. Yeah. yeah I've I mean, even I can... gotten, Go ahead. I, was gonna say, I even got to the point where it's like, yeah, I definitely wanted the pre-commit hook because I've committed code before and forgotten to run the format. And then I end up having to amend commits and it's like, I feel like an idiot, but you know, it's like, I know it's gotta be formatted because the CI is gonna complain, you know? Oh, yeah. So yeah, I, I pre-commit hooks help a lot with that kind of thing. Yeah, I like them. So I, I do wanna ask, uh, so a couple things here. First being, uh, does anyone here have any opinions on uh, the subject of having CI actually commit back to the repo? I know that's something we've kind of like gone off and on with here um, lately. You know, it's we've tried to shy away from it as much as possible, uh, but there are definitely organizations that use it. Um, there, there are definitely security risks there, such as if you can allow the CI system to commit back to the repo, probably on the trunk branch. Um, if you have your file in the repo and you don't have it locked down, or if you have your pipeline file in the repo, you don't have a lockdown super far, you're basically opening up uh, prod develops or commits the trunk to pretty much anyone. I mean, not X, it wouldn't be accidental, but you're giving a malicious actor the ability to effectively 
commit to master without um when they shouldn't be able to they can just i mean every time i've run in that scenario to it. every time i've run in that scenario i have heavily discouraged it i've ever actually seen that done or, or set it up i usually see it done when it comes to something with like versioning um where versions need to be written to the repo and ideally you should never have to do that but a lot of like legacy projects um old organizations that don't that are averse to change are like no we need to do this we have we wrote the script and it hard codes our version in 50 different places and then pushes it because of maven scripts or maven configs and stuff and it's just ugh. yeah i mean scenario. kevin you know my my stance on that is that ci should not be writing to the repo uh if you need to inject your version in places you need you should you can do that into the artifact um but um the That's code itself fun. i don't think that um the source shouldn't need the the version hard-coded anywhere i wouldn't say yep yeah, i am completely on board with that so but i know it is something that feels like uh came up quite a bit not i i don't really feel like it's come up recently but definitely in some of our uh engagements that had uh i guess you say a lot of a lot of things built on legacy systems and legacy practices along those same lines how do you uh how do you encourage your developers to commit more often? <laughs> because I, uh, I know a lot of us are reluctant to commit our code because, hey, I'm still working on it. But, you know, if you don't commit it, then other people on the team can't integrate it into what they're doing. And, um, you know, I want to share a story I heard years ago from somebody who worked with this big company that this big company had a policy and I thought this was such a way to kill developer productivity. They would force a commit to their version control every five minutes. And I thought that is such a stupid thing. But then on the other hand, I also thought, but I bet the integration's a lot easier, you know, because of the fact that every, you know, people who are doing their work, it's going into the version control and then other people can grab it, you know, but I'm just curious what kinds of practices have you guys done to uh, force people or to encourage people, I guess I should say, to uh, check in code. Break your task down smaller. You know, ta uh, if you've got a, a large feature, um, break those, break that large feature down into multiple subtasks. Um, if you've got multiple people working on that feature, those subtasks get merged into a feature branch. So you would branch off of trunk for the feature. Um, the developers working on the subtasks for that feature would branch off of that feature branch and then merge back into the um, the feature. Uh, you do their, do their work on their subtask branch, uh, merge back into the feature branch. And then once that feature is done, um, they can, you know, pull request into trunk. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah. I. I mean, yeah, I think that's part of the issue right there is how do you partition things into smaller parts for people to work on? Um, because that takes some time all by itself. But yeah, I, I think I think that's a good approach. Especially when there's like one task, two tasks might rely on each other. And if you wanted to, typically we do this with um, branch naming schemes where you put like the card ID in 
the branch name. Um, you don't, we also don't want to go down too far because it just then you just introduce way too much overhead of just oh well here's another branch and another branch and another branch and another branch, but it's a balancing act, and I don't think there's necessarily one good one size fits all solution. Yeah, you got to find the right thing that fits your you know your team. Um... I mean, this is part of the whole idea of CI in the first place, right? A depends on B. Um, I want as soon as I can to get A and B into version control so I can build them together and make sure they actually work together. And so, you know, so in a sense, if you have developers are really reluctant to commit because they're afraid of, you know, and I'll admit I do this too, where it's like, oh, this isn't ready yet. I'm, I've got to clean it up. I got to make sure it's right. Um, and I'm more and more, you know, it's a work in progress commit. It's a work in progress commit. So I don't lose work, you know. Yeah, GitHub actually just say... introduced uh, like uh, draft commits for something like that because I definitely am guilty of that. And I was interested to, to see that come out. It kind of encourages a little bit more. Draft PRs or what's it? Uh... Draft PRs or I can't I forget. It's something like that. It's like draft commits or PRs. Yeah. There are draft, PR. draft PRs. If there are draft commits, that'd be kind of cool. Just like, well, looking at that. I I don't understand how a commit would be a draft. It's just like a label or something to be like, hey, this is not really meant to be like merged. It's just like you know, check it out. This is kind of like a place uh, work in progress, more or less. I see. Also, are you guys getting background noise? I think they're doing an air show out here. They keep buzzing the house. Nope, I don't hear anything. I'm not okay. hearing you. Good. I'm trying out my new headset. So I guess that means it's working. Thunder over yeah, Michigan awesome. this weekend, maybe? <laughs> um, yeah, I live right by an airport and small airport. And, well, I don't know if you guys are all from Michigan, but I'm, I'm right by Willow Run and uh, I'll get like the Blue Angels. They do air shows a few times a year. So, oh, yeah. But, um, so, I mean, we've talked about Jenkins. Um, in my opinion, the worst CI system I've worked with. Does anyone have opinions for CI systems that they feel are really good? Uh, personally, I'm a big fan of GitLab, but uh, cost there is, I would say, prohibitive in a lot of cases. You haven't yeah. worked with Team City, have you? <laughs> I have not worked with Team City. <laughs> or uh, what? What was it? Bamboo? Oh man, Bamboo was a. That's the last thing, right? Yeah. That's yeah. Terrible. I've heard really great things about Harness. Um, I haven't heard anything bad things about it at all. Yeah, there's a lot of little ones that are popping up there, like specifically around like Coops and stuff like that um, that I haven't touched. But I do like GitLab. Um, but, you know, as Kevin mentioned, the, the cost of it is just outrageous that, you know, compared, I'm looking at comparing uh, GitLab and GitHub at the moment. And it's just, it's the, the difference is outstanding, you know, $4 a month per user um, on GitHub versus um, 20 um, per user per month on GitLab. And the, you know, the, the amount of CI minutes kind of wavers, right? Um, but they're like their most expensive, the enterprise plan on 
uh, GitHub gives you 50,000 CI minutes a month where um, to get 50,000 CI minutes a month on GitLab, it's $100 per user, which is just, I don't understand how they can make this like. You can use your own runners with GitLab. Um, you can do the same with GitHub as well. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't know if, if their cost differences were there, I think. I don't know. I mean, we uh, there definitely is a giant cost thing, but I could say, you know, when I was at Barracuda and we were just doing this earlier this year, uh, changing over from, you know, Bitbucket uh, to the, uh, to GitLab, but or sorry, GitHub, but um, there's a, a good gotcha with the GitHub uh, uh, highest end accounts. Like it has to do with SAML. Um, like you have to pay a, a real top dollar, like even more than the, so they have like team, they have personal teams and then enterprise. And then there's a whole other thing above enterprise in order to use SAML properly, where you're actually having users provision and deprovision properly. So, yeah, I think that's like uh, the enterprise where you like uh, run your own. Is that right? It's something. No, it was, it was something about like, I forget what it's called. It's, like it's a confusing. private repository or something. No, no, no. It was just the tier that GitHub offers that uh, the highest enterprise tier that GitHub offers that uh, that lets you do proper SAML with user provisioning and deprovisioning instead of the funky way they link a personal user. Um, I mean, it's just if you're a really large organization and you have exfiltration concerns, something to be aware of. Um, a little, a little bit of a gotcha with uh, GitHub costs. Yeah, sounds like uh, something that's put in place for giant legacy corporations that have so much red tape that they would rather spend uh, an arm and a leg for like one feature so that they can say that we have complete control. Oh yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, I do feel GitHub um, strikes a nice balance. It's definitely not as um, flexible and it's definitely not as powerful as GitLab, but for most cases, it, you can still make it work. Yeah, I agree. I All think the public that's... actions are pretty nice too. You know, like there's uh there's like a whole community of public actions that you can just tap into um, and get a lot of stuff done really quickly. I thought that was kind of nice. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So especially working with AWS, like the official uh, configure AWS credentials is really nice. Yeah, that was awesome. There's a lot of good stuff for Kubernetes. Um, Docker. Pretty much any kind of big tool, you're going to have a lot of really good stuff for it. Yeah. I feel like uh, uh, GitLab has a few, but it's not like a you know massive community like with GitLab. Like I've been using the, um, <clears throat> what is it? The static analysis security scan um, thing from GitLab. Um, it's pretty sweet, but it eats up my minutes. <laughs> um, so... If I, I would like to figure out how to get that to run on my own runners, but I can't figure out how to get the extend to work right to make, to tag it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I feel like the biggest thing Get GitLab has that GitHub doesn't that I really liked is um, child pipelines, um, which is itself a very niche thing, but the ability for one pipeline to generate another pipeline, which then runs, hmm. um, which pretty much lets you do anything. I was able to find like a hacky way to get it to work on uh, GitHub, but it required like post publishing everything as an artifact, which then ate through uh, like the artifact and storage limits. 
Yeah. So I, I mean, it was something that they have that they have like on their roadmap, but uh, probably still a ways out. So no Circle CI or Concourse or any other people here or even what drone? <laughs> I mean, there, there's more. I'm not forgetting, I'm forgetting. Yeah, Travis. Yeah. I, uh, there was one guy I worked with who I know is pretty good. He was really big on drone. Um, I have not used it personally myself, but if he says it's good, I kind of trust his uh, judgment on that. Yeah. I mean, Concourse is uh, really big in pivotal shops, or at least it was like five years ago. I don't know if it's the case anymore, but seems a very high barrier to uh, our steep learning curve with Concourse. I will say uh, probably one of the biggest challenges that I see or that I tend to run into on uh, most CI systems is just dealing with Windows builds. Um, you know, on Linux, you got a lot of that flexibility. You can use Docker containers to pretty much get whatever environment you need in a um, way that's easy to reproduce uh, and just very consistent. Whereas on Windows, just the flexibility isn't there. If you are going to use Docker images for Windows, then you can't do any kind of Docker because there is no Docker in Docker on Windows, at least last I checked. And just the provisioning time for anything Windows is uh, pretty much prohibitive. So you are basically stuck running full instances, which are then, you know, you can't just throw them away or if you can, but the- Full blown uh, builds every single cycle, yeah. That's... Yeah, like, oh, you know, I did this thing and now the Docker container that I built in is gone. So I don't need to worry about cleaning up. It's, you know, on, on Windows, oh, I need this thing, so I got to install it. Well, now it's that version of that thing is installed if you want to reuse that node, which you probably do because Windows takes so long to do anything if you don't reuse it. like It takes too long to provision, but you lose the flexibility then because you're stuck on a... Um, system where it's getting reused it also means uh systems that like uh i want to say code build runs in docker even on windows but like if you're trying to run windows containers yeah like i say you can't build windows containers which is a real problem if you're trying to deploy something like a uh net framework app, app that requires it something we had to deal with uh, a bit ago does anybody know if you can run Docker under WSL? You can, yes. But you can't have a system that runs, you can run Linux containers in WSL. But obviously Windows or Linux containers can't run like .NET Framework or IIS, which is really the only reason you'd ever want to run a Windows container. Um, and my understanding is that Windows systems can either run Linux containers or Windows containers, but they can't run both at the same time. <laughs> WSL might be a workaround for that though. So I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I was trying to help a friend a few years ago. She was porting some C code from like, it worked fine on Mac and on Linux. And then we got to some POSIX calls that Microsoft just would not support. There was, there, it was not, a, I don't know how Wine does it, because there were just like, you know, there was like, there's no corresponding call and I can't even find like, here's the workaround, use this instead. It was just like that. It was just, you know, and I understand Microsoft doesn't have to support 
Kha'Zix, but it was just, yeah, that kind of annoyance. And I suspect it's the same thing with Docker, where they've got to do hacky things to work around the lack of certain uh, POSIX support. I will say Windows is another area where I feel GitLab comes up short, especially if you're not boosting your own runners. Um, our last, the SAS runners that they provide are just prohibitively slow. Um, like there was a .NET build that we were uh, running that they couldn't convert to .NET Core, so it required running on Windows. And uh, it would take about two to three minutes to do the build on literally pick anyone's laptop. Uh, T2 Micro could do the build in like four to five minutes. Uh, but GitLab's runners, it would literally time out a three-hour job just because of how slow it was. So that's definitely an area that GitLab could improve. Um, it's just the performance of their SAS Windows runners. Wow. Yeah, you know, the uh, you know Windows isn't the only uh, one. You know, you, iOS builds are, can be a pain, too, because, you know, traditionally people just have a Mac mini sitting around somewhere in the office, but, you know, AWS finally put up, put up these, uh, what it is is they're probably running a bunch of Mac minis somewhere. They are. They exactly I think they are. are. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you can get away from that. I think it's a hardware thing, honestly. Yep. Yeah. Kind of silly. But, uh, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're here at a half hour. Do we got any closing thoughts? Don't use Jenkins. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Cheers to that. I, you know, I, we didn't get to it, but I would love to talk about is anybody actually continuously deploying things? You know, because like, I, I think a lot of people are doing continuous integration, but I think very few are actually doing like, hey, it's integrated, let's push it up to this environment automatically. I don't think anyone does that that I know of. I, I've seen deployments like integrated deployments to dev but i've yet to find any company that has the uh stomach to do oh well we've got these automated tests in dev okay it's good to go to qa no manual intervention needed yeah that, that's really what it is, is i i don't think i've <clears throat> worked with a company that has the test coverage enabled uh to be able to do that at this point Same. well i'll tell just, you it requires back a lot in the day i i guess github used to do that they used to deployed directly to production uh, using automated tests and stuff. I don't know if they still do, but that used to be how they, they did it because I remember thinking, man, you are brave. Large shops do, right? Because they do have the, they've got the engineering uh, throughput to be able to have the test coverage to be able to rely on those things. The, you know, um, but unfortunately um, in smaller business, you know, the, we, we have to prioritize the business value of um, features over um, the tests. Uh, that's just how that's, that's a business driver, right? So until you get to the point where you've got the, you're, you're uh, got the, the cash coming in to be able to support the, the engineering effort to put, put the, the time on tests. Um, that's just the way it's going to be. Yep. You know, you, you, what it, what it is is, the with the amount of time it takes to do like kind of usher a release through 
you know, is it, is it worth it to the business to put the amount of engineering time into, um, you know, automating that with tests versus just having someone kind of usher it, you know? So it's one of those business decisions you got away. Um, ultimately everybody would like to get to that point, but it just, it takes a lot of testing and it takes good testers and, um, people that write those selenium and cypress and tests like that, that they're, they're out there. Uh, they're just, uh, you know, <laughs> harder to come by and deprioritize like, a lot. Yeah. feels like something you kind of have to start with. Um, like I'd be a lot easier to do from a startup standpoint than it would be to try to get a, uh, you know, big corporation that has 20 years of tech debt. They just have so much other stuff they're going to have to clean up first. Yeah, I was going to say, you're right. Not having millions of lines of legacy code would help a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, before I forget to say it, thanks, everybody. This was a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was great having you. Thank you, Honorio. Um, we're going to be doing these every Thursday. Um, you know, if uh, anybody's out there listening, we do have a Slack community called Great Lake Tech Leaders. Uh, feel free to join. Uh, there's a sure there will be a link somewhere if you're watching or listening to this podcast probably be in the description uh you can just go ahead and sign up yourself um we've got people in there we're trying to cultivate discussions between uh tech leaders and um in the area and uh you know build a community here so i want to thank uh people for joining honorio joe kevin appreciate your time uh to those listening appreciate you guys coming in and uh just being here with us today so um with that, we'll uh, we'll sign off. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. All right. Thanks.